The title of the message is Prayer Before the Power. Prayer Before the Power, okay? And and let me just say that there's a big idea about this message, and I want to just tell you what it is, because it will give you an idea of where we're headed this morning. It is this, 50 days after Jesus resurrected from the dead, um, is the day known as the day of Pentecost or Shavuot. Okay, and that's coming up. We'll be talking about it in just a little bit. Now, on that day, you had hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem 2000, 2,000 years ago. And the Lord generously blessed the church with his presence. The Bible speaks of the Lord pouring out his spirit. But that's a metaphor, right, to pour something out. It speaks of that which is generous. The Lord generously is blessing the church with himself, actually, and empowering the church in Jerusalem. Of course, this is 50 days after the resurrection. Peter stands up. He preaches the gospel. 3,000 come to know the Lord Jesus on a drop of a dime that very day. Now, here's what often goes under the radar screen, okay? And that is 10 days prior to the day of Pentecost, the early church, which was only 120 at that time, were meeting in Jerusalem and they were praying. And so does that give us a, an important principle that prayer comes before the power? Just the principle there. Or prayer often comes before God's will is revealed or God's, or heaven is, becomes more on earth, his glory, his work in and through our life. Well, that's a question we want to pursue. Because I'm telling you, what often goes under the radar, scare, uh, uh, radar screen is that before Peter stood up and preached and 3,000 came to know the Lord, the church was in fact praying uh, what does it tell us about prayer? How important is prayer? Um, that's the big idea we're going to be getting to it in just a little bit. Okay, consider verse 9 with me. It reads the following, When they had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to, what's the next word, you guys? Jerusalem, from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip. Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and these all continued with one, what's the next word, you guys? Accord in, what's the next word? Prayer, right? And supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Okay, you may have a seat at this time. Now, I want to, I want to, give a little running start, okay? Having introduced this big idea, we're going to be getting to it just a little bit. Uh, In biblical times, one of the most dreaded diseases was leprosy, and largely because of the misinformation that was associated with it. Now, how's that for a segue to what we just read, right? As I said, give me a little running start here. So 2,000 years ago during biblical times, oh my goodness gracious, if you had leprosy, that was like one of the most dreaded diseases you could possibly have, largely because of a bunch of misinformation that was associated with it. 
I mean, today it's called Hansen's disease. It's easily curable. But it was believed back then that if you had the disease, it's like your nose might fall off. (laughs) Your fingers might fall off. I mean, all these grotesque things would take place. But here's the reality. That was not the case. I mean, the nature of the disease, Hansen's disease, or what was known as leprosy, brings a desensitization to our bodies, particularly to the extremities of our bodies. So therefore, please hear this. If you have this disease, which is easily curable today, you begin to lose feeling. If you lose feeling, you lose awareness. If you lose awareness, you lose perspective on what is reality. I mean, if you think about it in the context of our bodies, I mean, feeling is very important, right? Like I have a watch up here. I have a a little cup, you know, communion cup that's still in the pulpit and things. And I picked it up and I feel it and it's, you know, I can, I, I understand the shape. It's neither hot or cold. It's kind of lukewarm. If you, I mean, if you lose feeling, man, it can be very dangerous, uh, just think about it. I mean, it, there's such a thing as cold water. Yeah, and then there's really scorching water, water potentially as well. If I lose feeling with regard to differentiating between cold water, scorching hot water, um, it can lead to all kinds of further problems. I mean, I just end up like, you know, mutilating myself potentially if I lose feeling or awareness. If I do lose those things, I lose perspective with regard to what reality is. If our nerve endings deteriorate, it makes us vulnerable, actually, to maiming and mutilation. I mean, I I might be washing my face, you know, uh, with scolding hot water. I may grip that tool too hard, and I'm not realizing it, and I'm I'm destroying tendons and things. Um, In third world countries, victims... Uh, with leprosy or Hansen's disease were particularly vulnerable. Maybe just small animals. You know, they may be sleeping at night in all these gruesome realities and they don't realize there's this crazy rat at their feet and doing all kinds of horrible things. The disease, therefore, did not directly result in one's nose falling off or one's limbs missing or directly result in like rodents eating one's flesh, but it could set you up for those self-defeating, self-destructive, gruesome realities. How many of you are tracking with me so far? All right, got that big idea? Okay, please hear me. Jesus healed people with leprosy. Now again, I'm getting a little running start to the big idea here. He fought desensitization. We're gonna learn just a little bit. Leprosy is a type of sin, actually. Okay, sin desensitizes us. Sin, you know, like um, results in a disconnect between like feeling, knowing, being aware of what reality actually is. And Jesus healed people with leprosy, which is a demonstration of the healing that he brings into our life on a whole greater level, which we're going to be addressing a little bit. Two times the Bible addresses that he healed people with leprosy. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 through 3 reads, Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside, and suddenly a man with leprosy approached him, knelt before him, and said, Lord, um, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out, get this, and he touched the guy 
which like on a social level would have been scandalous because the idea during that time was that this disease was highly contagious. He was willing to associate with this desensitization and make this guy whole. He said, I am willing, be healed, and the guy was healed. Another time, got to teach this when I was in Jerusalem a few weeks ago, is in Luke chapter 17, verse 13. Jesus is going through Samaria. There's 10 lepers that are crying out, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus just speaks a word of healing, and in fact, they are here, healed. Now today... Today, before our very eyes, in our culture, there are some gruesome realities taking place. Uh, We're all aware, of course, of Islamic terrorism. Uh, But now our FBI chief warned that ISIS, Islamic terrorism, is clearly on American soil, right? He said, "I, I know that there are other Elton Simpsons out there. He says, it's almost as if there's a devil sitting on the shoulder saying, kill, 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 kill all day long, he said. And we might be tempted when we look at culture and go, my goodness gracious, there are some real gory realities taking place in our country today, in our generation, bloody, destructive. You know, racism is bloody. Adultery is carnage. Broken families is is a form of disfigurement. But more to the point, sin, please hear this, is a type of leprosy that slowly and surely desensitizes us, which then actually leads to a major breakdown. And what we see in our culture at this time, you guys, is monster breakdown. And it's very important we understand it. So in other words, our culture and the values and the priorities and an increasing lifestyle of the culture that we live in. That Let me just put it like a different way, like this, the lake and the, the rivers that we're swimming in is a generation that is losing feeling, is losing awareness, is out of touch with reality. And that's increasing big time. So therefore, please hear this. Like if you haven't heard anything up to this point, hear this. What is the normal today is actually incredibly abnormal. I mean, I mentioned this last week. It's no fun thing to talk about, but currently the Supreme Court is considering whether to redefine marriage. Hey, listen, the implication of that is monstrous. That's the first institution God created. So you're going to redefine marriage? um, I mean... (laughs) God created marriage between male and a female, and uh, it has shaped Western civilization for thousands of years. Remember, we talked about this last week, but Edward Gibbons, famed author of the book, The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire, identified that the number one reason for the fall of the Roman Empire was the undermining of the dignity and sanctity of the home. So, you know, I talked about that last week, right? And I stated, and I'll state it again. Hey, look, if same-sex marriage passes on the Supreme Court level, you can kiss American society, gone. I mean, it's done. Now, there's hope. I mean, the Lord is building a kingdom, and that's good news. I mean, everything is actually moving towards the Lord Jesus. Can I hear a big amen to that? But look, the issue of same-sex marriage, you got to understand, would not even be in front of the Supreme Court 10 years ago. You say, oh, that's because there's progress. Progress? How about regress? No, 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 no. This is just like, you know, allowing people to love. Love what? Love God? Love children? Love a generation? Love future generations? Oh, it's just like, you know, everybody has an opportunity to pursue happiness. Um, Well, look, Jesus said this, blessed is the man that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, he shall be filled. 
Happiness doesn't come by directly pursuing it. It comes by directly pursuing God's will. Wholeness, health, the will of God. Please hear me on this, okay? Desensitization is no friend of ours, okay? It leads to ill-informed decisions based on being out of touch with reality. So having feeling when it comes to water is important. Having feelings with, with regard to whether this is heavy or light is important, Having feeling with regard to whether that's a sharp object or a dull object is really, really important. And similarly, having feeling, awareness with regard to what love is, is very important. Can I hear an amen to that? Truth, who God is, original design, how to view the opposite sex, what is the calling and purpose of the church, what a Christian is. Today, there is major desensitization, monstrositous leprosy. Please hear me, not just in culture, but in the church as well. There is monster out of touchness with what is God's will. And what is normal is actually abnormal. I mean, our culture is like Judges 17, 6, which says, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Oh man, that sounds like 2015, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, those who call evil good, good, evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. I told this story, I wrote on it in my blog, and we kind of sent out an email, and hope that you go and read this, but I told the story about a man who was approached by a foreman, he was a businessman, and he was approached by a young man who wanted a job, And he asked for a job to be a part of a logging crew. Um, And the foreman said, well, it kind of depends. Let me see how you fell this tree. And the young man stepped forward and skillfully felled a great tree and impressed this foreman, exclaimed, man, you can start Monday, man. We, We could use you. So Monday goes by, Tuesday goes by, Wednesday goes by. Thursday rolls around. And Thursday afternoon, the foreman approached the young man and said, you can pick up your paycheck on the way out. And he said, wait a second, I I thought you pay people on Friday. He said, normally we do, but we need to let you go because you've, you've fallen behind in a big way. Our daily felling charts show that you've dropped from first place on Monday to last place today. And the young man said, look, I'm just a hard worker. I'm, to, I'm, I'm here before other guys. I actually work through lunch and stuff like this. And the foreman, sensing this kid's integrity, ends up asking him, well, let me ask you, have you been sharpening your axe? I mean, you've been working really hard. I got it. You're here and you work, you know, at lunch and stuff. But okay, you need to be sharpening your blade though, right? And the young man replied, no, sir. I've been working too hard to take time for that. Now, the reason I told that story is could it be that our lives have become so busy and so distracted that we're not taking time to sharpen the ax, if you will, that we're becoming dull and numb? Do our lives need sharpening? Do we need greater awareness to the will of God in our lives? I mean, here's a good question. I kind of wrote about it. I hope you look it up. Are we using dull axes in our attempt to make an impact for Jesus? And if so, what do we need to do to sharpen our influence? Okay, I said all of that to to get to our text. (laughs) 
Um, I love chapter one here of Acts. And as I mentioned, what often goes under the radar screen is before the power of Pentecost. It's actually the day of Pentecost and what took place on the day of Pentecost, which is Acts chapter two. When Peter stands up, preaches the gospel, 3,000 Jews, and I'm sure also proselytes to Judaism, Jews and Gentiles, end up coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But please hear this. What often goes under the radar screen is the church was in fact praying. Do you see that? Please look with me in verse 14, okay? I mean, Jesus ascends to heaven. That's 40 days after the resurrection. And he has told them, if you go back, actually I told you in verse 14, look, they're all continue with one accord in prayer, right? So they go in Jerusalem, they're praying. But the reason why they're doing that is if you go back up to verse eight, and we didn't read it, but let's read it now. Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in, can someone tell me? Jerusalem, right? So guys, that's where it's going to start. That's where I want you to be. And all Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. So here's the idea, right? He's given them a mission statement, if you will, or a purpose statement. Look, this is my will. I want you to start in Jerusalem. So you be hanging out in Jerusalem. He ascends to heaven, a demonstration. He's the king. They go back in Jerusalem. And what are they doing? This is awesome. They, in fact, are praying. Hey, look, Think about this for a second. Think about if the disciples saw Jesus ascend to heaven and they're like, oh my goodness gracious, and I'm, I'm going to split to Jericho, another one's going to go to Nazareth, and another one's going to head back up to the Galilee, and they were fractured or they were distracted, and, and they didn't go to Jerusalem, and they weren't meeting together, and they weren't praying. I mean, um, what would have happened if that would have taken place? Verse 13, please look at it with me, tells us that they enter an upper room, Perhaps the same room of, of the Passover, uh, where when Jesus washed the disciples' feet and when Judas Iscariot betrayed him. Um, and, and it's possibly this very place in the upper room in the upper part of the city of Jerusalem. And they're there 10 days together before Pentecost, where there's this incredible work of God's spirit in their life that results in thousands coming to know him. There's strong evidence that the epicenter of the early church, I wish I could show you some pictures, but I could show you some pictures, but I don't have them today, is located in the upper western hill of Jerusalem. I, one day I was asked by Rick Warren, what's my favorite place in Israel? And my answer was this place right here, upper part of the city of Jerusalem. Which, I, 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 which today is known as Zion, and it, it, where the Passover was, which is commonly known as the Last Supper, where I believe Acts chapter 2, Pentecost took place as well. Uh, today it is known as the traditional site of the upper room. In fact, there's a first, second century messianic synagogue they have foundation of, and there's a building built over it. Um, when, I was in, in, when I was in Jerusalem this last time, many times I would just go to this very spot. I, I had some wonderful times of prayer, praying for our church, uh, just spending time with the Lord. It was absolutely phenomenal. And I was just like right in the epicenter of where I, I believe all of this took place. It was just incredibly surreal and awesome. Uh, very close by is the traditional site of the tomb of David. It's where the messianic seal has been found. 
And then verse 14, go back there, please. All continued, and, and this is very important, all continued with one, what's that next word, you guys? With one accord. It's a very interesting word Luke is using because it's a musical term that means to strike the same notes together. And the idea is that there was um, this similar uh, harmony. There were, they, the disciples were being tuned up by the same realities. They were in one accord. Now you have some notes in front of you, and I, I, I want to identify some of the ways in which the early church was tuned up by the same realities. In other words, they were thinking in a similar way. They were on the same page. And we need to learn from them. I mean, for example, number one, they, they clearly believed Jesus had given his life on the cross, had conquered the grave, he had bodily resurrected. So they were tuned up by the person of the Lord Jesus. Number two, uh, they were tuned up by the same reality of the promise of God's presence and power. They believed that. They believed that the Lord would bless them generously with his presence, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Number three, they believed the plan of the Father's kingdom was still active on the table, if you will. Uh, They were expecting the kingdom to materialize on planet earth with the reign of Jesus that was still on the table. They believed that. Number four, they believed in the purpose of the work of God to actually impact the entire world. They were tuned up by that reality. Start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Another reality that they were tuned up and in one accord with, and you can write this, the right answer in your notes there, is that Jesus would in fact return in power, okay, as the king of the kingdom. Now, those are great realities to be tuned up by. Can I hear an amen to that, right? So if you look at the 120 atop the hill in Jerusalem there, upper part of the hill of Jerusalem, near Herod's palace and stuff, they're all in one accord. Like, we totally believe in Jesus. We believe he's the king. We believe that God's given us a mission. Start in Jerusalem. We, we just, he talks about the promise of the Father. He's taught us about the Holy Spirit's with us, but one day he's gonna be in us and stuff like that. John 14, 15, 16, 17, he's been praying for us. It's like, okay, we're believing these things. And, we're, and look, our prayers most likely, I, I wasn't there, but I could imagine the prayers were aligned with all of these realities. Lord, we believe in you. We believe you have bodily resurrected. We believe you ascended to heaven. We believe you are the king. We believe that you're going to work in and through us. We believe that everything ultimately is moving towards you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe whenever the Lord wants to do a really great work, just in principle, he wants to do a great work in and through our lives. And great works have to do with love and faith and forgiveness and making Christ known and being his hands and feet physically, spiritually, and mostly in our generation. I really believe he stirs his people to pray. I believe in principle we learn this from this passage. I mean, I think back a little before my time to the Jesus movement, late 60s, early 70s, that Calvary Chapel came out of. And what often goes under the radar screen is that behind the scenes, 
You have Pastor Chuck's wife who was praying for these crazy hippies at the time, right? And she would see these hippie kids walking past her home and she would pray for them. And that's good, right? Because prayer is not so much getting my will in heaven as God's will in heaven on the earth. So it's like when I pray, and we're going to get to this a little bit, it's like time exposure with God. It's like, like you know, he, what he does is he renews our hearts and minds that align with his. I mean, we pray, we start getting a heart for other people that he already has. And one of those kids that she was actually praying for was none other than Greg Laurie, who was walking by the home, interestingly. And I also think of the revival in Wales, and I've talked about this before in 1904, but a young man by the name of Evan Roberts heard one of the men in his church, one of the elders in his church, just simply say, Lord, bend us. And you know, it's just this phrase, Lord, bend us. The idea is like we want to be marching on our knees, dependent upon you. We want to be a place of availability, giving you our attention. Um, And it resonated with him. Just like bend us, you know, just boom. Just awakened his heart. Now he knew the Lord and he had passion, but his heart was hard. And and he began to pray, Lord, bend me. And, and, And the Lord did and actually changed his outlook on life. And he actually began to pray that God would give him a 100,000 souls for salvation. Whoa. Lord, just I pray 100,000 people would be reached in this generation for you. You would work in and through my life. I'd be a part of it one way, shape, or form. What a wonderful thing to pray. October 31st, 1904, Evan brought his four-point message to his home church. The first point was, if there's any sin in your past that's not confessed to God, he's like, on your knees at once. Just confess it. Because the Lord wants to get you past your past. He wants to affirm that you're forgiven and you're freed from that. That's a great thing. Second thing is, if there's anything in your life that is doubtful, anything you can't decide whether it's good or evil, away with it. It's like if it's not of faith, it's sin, the Bible says. May there be no cloudiness between you and God. Number three, do what the Holy Spirit prompts you to do. Obey immediately, promptly, implicitly, without unquestion, with unquestioning submission to God's Spirit. And the fourth thing he said was publicly profess Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Take a stand. There's no such thing as secret Christians. Take a stand if you confess Jesus with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So his cry, please hear this, was bend the church and just save the world. And and here's what happened. As a matter of public record, the culture in Wales began to radically change because people's lives were being impacted by Christ. Taverns closed, gambling went out of business, prostitution houses shut down. On the other hand, harmony spread as families were were reunited and friendships restored and debts paid and divisions and churches were healed. And it all started with this prayer, Lord, you know, just bend us, impact our life. Lord, what is your will? Accomplish it. And the rest is history. The rest is his story, really God's story of grace. How important is prayer? I mean, just think about prayer in the the life of our Lord Jesus. Jesus prayed at the beginning of his ministry, Luke 3. 
He prayed before he chose the 12. He prayed before he raised Lazarus from the dead. Before his arrest and giving his life on the cross, John 17, man, he's in major prayer. And would you believe it that the Lord still prays for us? In fact, the Holy Spirit is actively praying for us as well. This is where I want to identify three realities with regard to prayer. And I want to base it on how the Lord taught us to pray. You know how the Lord taught us to pray. In fact, if if I start it, you can just jump right in. So do so. Our Father who art in, hallowed be your. Awesome. All right. Here's point number one. Prayer is like time exposure with the Lord, you guys, an intimate and loving relationship. And when I say time exposure, here's what I mean. It's like a, a camera shutter opening, capturing a moment. It's like, I mean, just think about it. It's pretty special, right? I don't even know how it works, but it's like camera opens up, boom, captures the light, captures the objects. It just freeze frames a moment in time, right? And then it's emblazoned, you know, in the camera or on, on the film or something. Well, please hear me. Okay, when we pray, our Father who art in heaven, in principle, when we pray, our Father who art in heaven, and even when we pray, our Father who art in heaven, it's like the shudder of our heart and mind open up. And it's like time exposure with the most wonderful person in the entire universe. How can you not be blessed being in the presence consciously of the Lord himself? And that's what prayer is. What is prayer? Well, Prayer is communicating with Almighty God and it's being intentional in the moment, conscious that I'm communicating with the Heavenly Father. What a wonderful reality that is. And so it's incredibly intimate. And like Moses, who was intimately in relationship with the Lord atop Mount Sinai and you know, the Lord speaking to him and speaking through him in a big way and he came down from that mountain and his face is just, you know, enlightened with the glory of God. There's just no way that, that you can't, you can, you can walk away with just having, having time exposure with the Lord in prayer and, and, and not be more like him. Not reflect the glory of the Lord. You know, I had a few people in our home fellowship, tell me that when our son Pete preached here, you know, a couple weeks ago, they told me that, you know, he has mannerisms like you. And they told me that. And I said, really? Kind of surprised me. But then I thought, why does that surprise me? I'm like, goodness gracious. I mean, you know, he's been watching his weird dad for like 20 years, right? And it's bound to rub off. And plus, he has some DNA in there as well of his mom and dad. Um, Look, you guys, please hear me. Prayer is like your heart opening like a camera shutter to the Lord. Time exposure with Almighty God. Incredibly intimate and beautiful. Can I hear a big amen to that? Now watch this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what did he mean by that? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One, that is a prayer that the kingdom of the Lord Jesus 
definitely materialize on planet earth. There's no doubt about it. But please hear me. The kingdom is not just a future reality that will materialize in the reign of Christ on earth. The kingdom has to do with today. It has to do with having more of Jesus and God's love and what is just and what really aligns with scripture on the earth today. So therefore, number two, just jot this down, it's up on the screen. Prayer really is about getting God's will in heaven on earth. I mean, prayer is so, and it's so sweet to the Lord. I mentioned this earlier because Revelation 8 gives us this picture of prayers that are mixed with this incense and the presence of God. And it just speaks of something that he's relishing over. And one day, according to Revelation 8, he just just pours out this bowl of all of these prayers on planet earth. I can't help but think of this very point in and how Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me tell you, that's not a wasted prayer and that prayer is gonna be answered. You ever pray, your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That revolutionary prayer, really. That prayer is gonna be answered. And, and, but listen, please hear me. It's not just about a future materialization of a kingdom. It's about really right now. It's about the kingdom of God His glory, his love, his truth, his redemption, his forgiveness, the gospel in and through our lives right now. It's like today you want more heaven on earth. All right, when you get more heaven on earth, you get more love on earth. You get more redemption on earth. You get more justice on earth. You get more mercy on earth and compassion on earth. And then Jesus taught us, you know, just here's, I just want to draw from this phrase, give us. It's like, give us this day, our daily bread, like we're dependent upon you. But, but let's go back to Acts chapter one. I can't help but think that the early church was like, okay, Lord, you promised you would generously bless us with your presence. We need your power. We need your strength. We need the gifting of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, give us, we are, give us what we need and more that you're, you would be glorified in and through our life. And it leads to this point, number three, prayer says, Lord, I am dependent upon your power. I'm dependent upon it. And it says, I'm available for you to work through my life. Look, the Lord had given the church a purpose, mission statement, Acts 1.8. As I mentioned earlier, imagine if after the ascension, the church didn't go back to Jerusalem. They were distracted. They, they weren't in prayer. They weren't in one accord. What would they have missed? Look up here for a second, you guys. Just drop an idea. I want you to think about it. Um, do you think the Holy Spirit, who, of course, indwells us and is working through us, I mean, we are the body of Christ. What an honor that is. All of us are members of his body. Can I hear an amen to that? Watch this. Do you think the Holy Spirit wants to affect change? Wants to impact in this generation? Wants to work in ways, well, I mean, do you think he wants to accomplish realities that haven't been accomplished yet? Oh, there's just no doubt about it. I mean, the, the, it all started with the Father who thought this plan of salvation, Jesus bought it, but the Holy Spirit brought it. 
Just get this idea. The Holy Spirit wants to work in and through each of us. Starting in our home, starting in our home church, starting in our home city, starting in our own Jerusalem. Do you think that he has a vision, if you will? He has objectives he wants to accomplish in this generation. He, he, wants, he wants certain realities to exist that don't exist yet, but he wants them to exist. Well, of course he does. Do you think it's possible that it's like we could be distracted or just dull or just not listening and not open to it? Well, I'm absolutely convinced of that. And that's not where we want to be. We want to be in a place where it's like, Lord, um, I adore you. I give you my attention and my availability. What is it that you want to do in and through my life? Please hear me. We're living in a generation that what is normal is really abnormal. And it's all around us. And the absence of prayer is really easy to trace. The absence of prayer basically saying, look, um, there's, there's not really an intimacy of relationship with the Lord because the lifeblood of any relationship is communication. And the absence of prayer is easy to trace in the sense that I'm just not interested actually in your will in heaven, which is so awesome, love, redemption, healing, the kingdom now, and ultimately materializing with the return of Jesus Christ. I mean, the absence of prayer just basically says, I'm just, um, I'm not interested in you using my life. And, and, and the absence of prayer is easy to trace as well because it basically says um, that one is not dependent upon the person and the work of the Spirit in and through their life. And because of those reasons, I say this, you guys, it's time for us to pray. Can I hear an amen to that? It's so true. Listen, I was listening to my dear friend Greg Laurie speaking at the Reagan Library, Southern California. He's talking about revival, you know, and the need for revival. In principle, if you go back 2,000 years before Pentecost, and not to imply we're praying for a second Pentecost, because I don't even, what would that mean? There's like just only like this Pentecost of 2,000 years ago is like what launched the church with the knowledge of Jesus Christ beginning in Jerusalem all throughout the earth. So we're not really praying for a second Pentecost, but what we are saying is, Lord, you are continuing your work in this generation and we want to be a part of it, big time. But he was just talking about, oh, man, we need to pray, we need to pray. We need revival and awakening. Listen, we got to cut out the leprosy. I mean, the leprosy is killing us, the lack of feeling and awareness to, to what even reality is when it comes to love and truth and, and what aligns to the word of God. That has to be cut out, my goodness gracious. At least the self-mutilation, all this gory stuff has to be cut out. Well, I mean, how does that take place? Man, I just, it, it begins with prayer. No doubt about it. May the Lord just like sharpen our lives and our influence to his glory. We need to pray. And I, it's all of this is really leading to, I, I'm going to invite you to do something, church family. <laughs> Stephanie and I have been thinking about this for a little bit. I'm really looking forward to it. But to give you some perspective, the 10 days of prayer between the Ascension and Pentecost is actually on the biblical calendar coming up very quickly. So in other words, May 14th, okay, which is Thursday, is like the first day that the church began to pray in Jerusalem. Okay? 
So May 14th to May 24th, okay, is like the 10-day period, May 24th being the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection. How many of you are tracking with me on that, right? Okay, got that big idea? Look, I want to encourage the church family I, I'm, to every day during that time period, set significant time aside to seek God and to ask him to cut out any leprosy, any desensitization in your own life and pray for that with regard to our church and the church universal throughout the world. Because the church needs an awakening. Sometimes we say, you know, our country needs a revival. Um, Revival is something that takes place in believers' lives. Our country needs evangelism. What ends up happening is when you have believers who are awakened, then they're like, well, they're praying and they're available and they've given the Lord their attention and adoration. And they're saying, Lord, look, I'm available working it through my life. And then you have like a Peter who stands up on Pentecost and is unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we need today. So let me invite you beginning Thursday for 10 days and Sefi and I are gonna just take time aside. Maybe you could just think from 12 to one, you just give some significant time in prayer and your knees and just seeking the Lord and opening his scriptures and praying for reawakening in your own life and your family and with your spouse and your children and, and our, our church family and believers all throughout the world. That would be a phenomenal thing. And you know, let's just see what the Lord would do as we give him our adoration, as we give him our attention, as we give him our availability. That would be great. And um, I'm going to send. I'm going to send little encouragements and perspectives and scriptures via email. If you're on our email list, you'll be getting them these ten days. If um, you're on our texting log, you're going to get little updates and stuff. If you're not, it would be great to get your information if you would like them because I'll, I'll send them to you though, during those 10 days. Can I hear an amen to that, guys? 